a little bit today about uh, education since it's graduation Sunday. Uh, and uh, we thought that would be a great day to kind of bring a little emphasis on education. Uh, and uh, Joel and I have been reading a book that is like turbocharged our lives with excitement. Uh, and this book is, uh, I'll hold it up for you. I posted it on my Facebook feed. How many of you are follow me on Facebook? Five of you, good, praise the Lord. Okay, so uh, the big title is The Book That Made Your World. And then the little title, title is How the Bible Created the Soul of the Western Civilization. Anyway, this is a great book. This is written by a guy from India uh, who, yeah, he's from Chris's hometown probably, uh, who's, uh, who's written, uh, he's probably read a thousand books and written I don't know how many books, and he has his PhD, and some of the brightest minds on the planet, by the way, are coming out of India. Uh, and this book is so good because one of the reasons it's so good is not just because of how everything is backed up so well, uh, and but it's also good because he grew up, I don't know if you knew that Islam, uh, that, that India was conquered by the Muslims, uh, and then, uh, then uh, from that went into uh, Hinduism and Buddhism. And so he grew up in, in this environment where all three of those religions existed, uh, where all three of those ideas were competing with Christianity. So he grew up in a very strong, uh, like a four-argument environment. Uh, and uh, he converted to Christ, and uh, it's just really cool what he's put into this. And one of the things I have to I have to admit, one of the things that just blows me up about this book, is that this book verifies the philosophical theological view of New Horizon Christian Center. Isn't that nice when you think you're right and then you find out you are? Isn't that cool? I just love that. Uh, and so this has been fun because uh, here, here is the theological premise. And by the way, I'm going to, everybody say, I will not be bored. I know this could be challenging, but you will not be. Uh, but I'm going to read a bunch out of this book this morning, okay? So brace yourselves, look at somebody and say, okay. Glory to God, anyway. But I want to, uh, you know, I want to, you know, there's so much. Uh, if you come to New Horizon, you're going to find out you're going to be smothered with positivity. And uh, we have a hope-filled view of history. We have a hope-filled view of the future. We have a victorious eschatology. You know what eschatology is? It's the big theological word for the doctrine of how you view end times events. So unfortunately for you, we are not staging a lot of rapture clinics. Unfortunately for you, we are not like having a, like new seminars each week on the tribulation and how the Antichrist is about ready to put 666 on your forehead. 
so unfortunately for you, we are not, we, we don't, we're not staging a lot of those things because we really, our philosophical and theological view here is that we, and, and is that we will have one world government, by the way. One world under Jesus. So you're going to get, you know, if you're here, that's what you're going to get inundated with. And, and that doctrinal premise essentially permeates everything that we say and do. That Jesus has won and Jesus is winning and Jesus is subduing everything that contradicts his victory and putting it under his feet and we are his feet. So, and it's Bible, that's Ephesians, by the way, that's Ephesians 1, 21 through 23 right there. Uh, so we're the body of Christ, right? Anybody here the body of Christ? So last I checked, feet have bo- uh, uh, bodies have feet. Do any of you have feet? And so, so you know, th- this is woven throughout Scripture, this victorious view that we want to have all the way back to Handel's Messiah, right? So you'll hear us quote Handel's Messiah quite a bit around here. Uh, we sing it in churches. We sing it all over the world, but we don't believe it. Handel's Messiah, right? That he shall reign forever and ever. He shall reign. Okay, my voice is not what it ought to be or what it used to be, but, uh, but it's even worse when I take on soprano. Okay, so, but nonetheless... Handel's Messiah is based out of Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. So the government shall be on his shoulders of the increase of his government of peace. There shall be no end. And, uh, and there, were, there were so many uh, uh, reformers, theologians, believers, and Christians who historically have had this awesome view of of the victory of Jesus and God subduing the enemies of Jesus and eradicating evil. Essentially, you know, God is about the business of eradicating evil. And it helps when we, I think it helps us to actually believe these things when we, when we look at life uh, over a longer historical period. Uh, because if we are just looking at pop theology and we're looking at life through just our small period, then we miss sometimes what God has been doing, and that's part of the value of what I want to share today as well. So uh, I want to go to Matthew thirteen thirty one though, uh, because uh, there's so many scriptures that are the foundation of our thought. And it's these scriptures that are precious, believe it or not, Many of these scriptures that are precious to New Horizon Christian Center, New Horizon Church, many of these exact same scriptures are the scriptures that were precious to Augustine. Uh, They were precious to our church forefathers. They became extremely precious to Martin Luther, uh, the great reformer uh, and uh, the, the founder of the Protestant movement, the protesters. Uh, and so I want to just touch on some of these. One of them is Matthew thirteen, thirty-one, And he told them another parable saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. 
And though it was the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. This was a metaphoric illustration to how great, how vast, how large the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is going to become in the earth. It's going to become home to all. It's going to become the, 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 the nesting place of all. And then he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of dough or flour until it worked through all of the dough. That's the New International Version. New American Standard King James says that it was placed into three pecks of meal or three portions of flour, and it remained until all was leavened. The kingdom of heaven, the gospel of heaven, the goodness of God, the goodness of heaven, that which you and I have access to is leavening the earth. It's leavening the earth, and we're a part of that. Isn't that like the coolest thing ever? Other verses that are precious to us about this uh, are uh, Genesis one twenty eight: Subdue, have dominion. Subdue, have dominion. Take dominion over the earth. In other words, the earth is useful to you. The earth is your blessed place. The earth is that which you are to steward over, subdue, and rule over. We find uh, this is, these kinds of verses were the foundation for Sir Isaac Newton and uh, so many that, that made discoveries, so many that, that searched out truth, so many that... fact is, we use John 8, 31 and 32. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We use verses like that so many times in church. Most of our phraseology, most of our verses, most of our use of Bible verses is built around salvation, built around sin consciousness. But we find that many of our forefathers used these verses. God impressed upon them. There was an anointing of the Spirit that came upon them, helping them to see that these verses were the freedom to discover. They were the freedom for scientific study. They were the freedom for literacy, for the study of languages. They were the freedom to delve deeper into knowledge and to learn and to develop math and to develop science and all. All of the things that we take for granted today, they use the same verses that we, we have a tendency to put them into a framework of churchism only. The history that we're standing on is really a history where the sacred and the secular were married together. We're now in this odd day in our Western culture and society where, where we feel that this, this, and we absolutely see it, we observe it, this tension where it's like the demonic realm or, or the enemy of what God has has been separating the sacred from the secular. And so now the secular is over here standing on its own liberal arts universities or schools, it's actually many of them are over here standing on a vacuum. Whereas they started, they started, they were birthed out of, they were birthed out of the kingdom of God. They were birthed out of truth. They were birthed out of righteousness. They were birthed out of a vision, a vision 
that education, that wisdom, that knowledge was all of God. Genesis 12.1, Genesis 12.1, God's word over Abraham, through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Psalm 24.15, the earth he has given to the sons of men. Genesis 3.15, Genesis 3.15 says that the curse, that the curse was to result in sweat and toil. The curse was to result in sweat and toil. Christians began to believe that toil, therefore, was of the devil. Did you know that technology, the inventions that we, the, that we enjoy today, actually started out of Christianity? Technology was actually the minds of men thinking, believing that toil, that work is of God, but toil is not. Work is of God, but toil is not. That toil is a part of the curse. See, in the beginning, we were given work. We were given responsibility to tend and to care for the garden. But toil was what came with the curse. And so theologians, under the influence of Jesus, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, I'm trying to help us. There's a lot more to this than speaking in tongues and laying hands on the sick. The, the essence of all that we enjoy today has been birthed out of the freedom, the deliverance, the restoration that God has in mind for us in the planet and for the planet itself. Isn't that amazing? So even technology, I'll get to that. Uh, I'm saving some minutes. Curse and toil, though, Genesis 3.15. The curse came with toil, and theologians began to think, you know, we should be free from toil. Yeah? You still with me? Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of him? That, you have, that you've created him a little lower than God, that you've turned all things over to him. Romans 8, 14, 15, and 16 talk about the earth being subjected to futility, not of its own choice, but due to the curse. Isaiah 61, we preached it the week before last. We talked about Isaiah 61 and Luke 4, where Jesus stood up and he said, this is now being fulfilled. I've come to open blinded eyes. I've come to set captives free. I've come to heal the bruised. I've come to fix the broken. I've come to repair the breach. He, He just talks about all of these things that he came to do, right? And then in Luke 4, he stands up and he reads that and he says, this is now fulfilled in your hearing. It began this revolution of freedom, this revolution of knowledge. If you think about a sin-conscious world, if we are, if we're, even our own lives, if we are, if we're superstitious, if we're fatalist, or if we're sin-conscious, then those things alone are keeping us from really tapping into the fullness of who we are and really discovering all that God has around us. Because we're constantly, mankind until Jesus, they were constantly under the oppression of sin, sin consciousness, and sinful activity. 
This is part of why the word says that in the last days, knowledge will increase. Knowledge has gone nuts. Matthew twenty two thirty seven has been like a major motivator for believers from, from the first ascension until now. Matthew twenty two thirty seven, right? Where Jesus said, Love God with all of your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. This has been the motive. The motive for believers throughout history has not been money, it's been love. That's why believers have done more in every culture than any other race or being or religious system. It's because our motive has been love. These are scriptures. This is just, all of this is built, all of this, all of this. Hebrews 1, through the fear of death, Satan held us. Ephesians 5, redeeming the time. Did you know clocks were invented by monks? They were invented by Christians. They invented clocks because they had to pray seven times a day and they had to meet together for those prayer meetings and they didn't know, how it was, who, they didn't know when that was going to be. And so clocks were invented by Christian believers. Technology after technology after technology. Redeeming the time. Make the most of the time. I'll read you a couple things on that hopefully. Thinking on things above. In Christ is all wisdom. Colossians 1 says that in him is all wisdom. Everything, everything is hidden in him. That's why we can access it. We can tap into it. The believer's shoulders that we're standing on believed that in God there were all answers. There were all answers. Okay, so let's read some stuff out of this. Is this all right? Because I want to talk to you today about... That, that education is still important. Education is still important. Knowledge is still important. God loves knowledge. He loves you filling your brain bucket and craving knowledge and going after knowledge. And we, we live in this kind of almost like a post-knowledge world where entertainment is taking over knowledge. We're living in this crazy world where people are not filling their brain buckets with the, the knowledge that is now available. The newest Nielsen report. The average American watches five hours of television every day. Hello? The average American watches five hours of television every day They spend one hour on the internet on their phone. They spend one hour and seven minutes additionally just on their phone in general. And they spend, this is the average American, and they spend, this means that since you don't do this, there's a lot of people spending a lot more than this because you don't do this. That means some people are spending like 10 hours in front of television a day. Because some of you aren't in front of the television at all. Hello? Anybody home out there? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Is this crazy? 40 minutes on Facebook, 2.46 minutes on radio. The average American. Hello? Isn't that crazy? Money spent on entertainment in 2015. Eleven billion three hundred and four million 
$592,478. trying to mess with you. We're in a post-knowledge world. We're in an entertainment world where brain buckets are empty. But it is not the life of the believer. Amen? So uh, let's talk about music for a minute. I'll just talk about music a little bit. Anybody into music? Like I play piano and guitar and trumpet by ear. Uh, But then at one point I decided I should take theory. Anybody ever take music theory? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay. So where did where did you know where did music go nuts? Like David gave us music and and uh, Judah gave us music, right? God gave us music, but where did music go nuts? Augustine. Augustine was the author of a six volume set called On Music, and he was a key figure in inserting music into Western education and worldview. His first Five volumes are technical and could have been written by a Greek philosopher. But Augustine was most excited about his sixth book, which gives a biblical philosophy of music. Music is, of course, integral to the Bible. And the longest book is Psalms. The last book, the last book, for example, in Psalms, asks creation to praise the Lord with trumpet, flute, harp, tambourine, strings, pipes, and symbols. Why are these physical instruments able to make music? Augustine saw that the scientific basis uh, or essence of music lies in mathematical numbers or scores at the core of creation. Since music is mathematical, Augustine argued It must be rational, eternal, unchangeable, meaningful, and objective. It consists of mathematical harmony. We cannot make a musical sound from just anything. To get a precise note, a string has to have a specific length, thickness, and tension. This implies that the creator has encoded music into the structure of the universe. Who figured that out? Believers. We stand on their shoulders. Is that crazy? There's more. Is this all right? Luther. Luther. uh, So Augustine was like early on, 300s. Luther came much later, uh, 1500s, right? And the great reformer. Uh, But Luther loved music. And what happened is, especially during the Dark Ages, uh, is that, that music just went into chanting, just kind of this odd chanting, and it wasn't developed as it could have, and guys like Jerome took the music, and they kind of took it away from the people, stuffed it into the sanctuary, and it just became this monkish chant. Uh, And then Luther came along, and with the Reformation, we think of him as just for the Reformation and the printing of the Bible, and here he is in Germany, and he nails the thesis to the Wittenberg door and all this stuff. But actually, Luther was like this crazy guy about music. He And he saw that the Reformation would release music, would release choirs and bands and ensembles, and it would just like revolutionize music. And uh, guess who came right after Luther? Bach. Isn't that crazy? So I want to read to you something, though, about Luther. Okay, so um, give this to you real quick. 
The modern West confirmed Luther's educational philosophy that music, musical literacy produces people with an intuitive awareness of a logical and orderly universe. It is not a coincidence that universities such as Oxford and Cambridge that have a distinctive Christian heritage still hold music in greater respect than most of the universities founded upon secularism during the 20th century. The flowering of Western music was released through Luther. It takes barely five minutes to walk from the Bach House at Einzach, Germany, to the house where Luther had lived as a student, and it takes less than 10 minutes to drive up the hill to the castle of Wartburg where Luther translated the New Testament into German. By the time Johann Sebastian Bach was born, that area had become a Lutheran province. This just goes on, talks about Bach, and it's a crazy cool story as well. But I just want you to see that that so much of this came out of study. It came out of a freedom, a freedom to pursue, a freedom to study. Uh, we, we have cooked, we, we have to be careful because we've cooked religion down to this spiritual experience that is not including the secular, and we've separated the secular out and made the secular almost like an unclean realm in the modern church. We have to be careful because that was not the view of those whose shoulders we stand on. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that fun? Okay. Uh, you all right? Let's go, to another, uh, let's go to another thought or two. And I'm just trying to stir you up for more school. I want all of you to enroll in school soon. I want all of you to be readers because readers are what? Readers are readers are readers are leaders. Edward Grant pointed out in his book God and Reason in the Middle Ages. Now this is not on music, this is on rationality. Rationality, uh, thought, thinking, right? God and reason in the Middle Ages, that during the latter Middle Ages, that is 1050 to 1500, the Bible created a particular religious person called the schoolman or the scholastic. He used logic as his primary tool to study divinity. No earlier culture had created such a rational man with the intellectual capacity for establishing the foundations of the nation-state, parliaments, democracy, commerce, banking, higher education, and various literary forms such as novels and history. The scientific, technological, military, and economic success of the West came from the fact that it became a thinking civilization. Isn't that cool? Aren't you, like, just excited? Don't you want to freak out? I'm trying to tell you throughout this, not only that we want to be an educated people, that we want to use our brains and don't check them at the door when you come in, I'm trying to tell you also that there's so much hope ahead of us. There's so much hope ahead of us as we continue to love knowledge, love the Lord, love our neighbor, see him in the midst of all of this. Amen? All right, this is on technology. 
Only one culture has promoted technology for general welfare and for liberating and empowering the weak, slaves, women, children, the handicapped, and the poor. It has been documented that humanizing technology came out of biblical theology. The the humanitarian technology that our modern world has inherited from the Middle Ages was not rooted in economic necessity, for this necessity is inherent in every society, yet has found incentive expression only in the West, nurtured in the activism or volunteeristic tradition of Western theology. It is ideas which make necessary conscious. The labor-saving power machines of the later Middle Ages were produced by the implicit theological assumption of the infinite worth of even the most degraded human personality by an instinctive repugnance towards subjecting any person to the monotonous drudgery which seems less human less than human in that it requires the existence neither of intelligence or choice. These guys would sit in rooms and think and they would experiment and they would try things because they believed that every single person has dignity and no person should have to do something that is repetitively meaningless, that requires no intelligence and no choice. Wow. Isn't that fun? So you shouldn't choose a vocation like that either. Get some education. Amen? You still all right? All right. Let's, uh, let's read you another one. Eyeglasses were invented by Christians. Eyeglasses. Isn't that fun? What do you think of that one? Eyeglasses came after clocks, and eyeglasses turned the clock making and repairing into a revolution, speeding up all mechanical engineering. Eyeglasses were first referred to in Florence, where Joel and I were not too long ago in Italy. And eyeglasses were created, invented by theologians. They practically doubled the productive life of Western scholars and craftsmen. That's kind of fun, yeah? Okay, let's go to, uh, let's go to something else. Is that all right? Can you handle more? A little more? Two or three more things? I like this. Your world, your world is such a reflection of amazing, amazing things. Here's, he, here's him talking now. He's, here he, he's, he's talking to us a little bit. Why did my university in Halabad have a church but not have a church but not a Hindu temple or a Muslim mosque? Because the university was invented and established by Christians. Neither colonialism nor commerce spread modern education around the world. Soldiers and merchants do not educate. Education was a Christian missionary enterprise. It was integral to Christian missions because modern education is the fruit of the Bible. The biblical reformation born in European universities took education out of the closet and spread it across the globe. Some of the holy men near Allahabad confluence were at least as brilliant and dedicated as the friars who founded Oxford and Cambridge. They 
failed to establish a university, though, because of their religious quest to kill their minds. They laid on nails. They buried themselves. They sat covered with only ashes and cow dung. They smoked on drugs, seeking enlightenment. Their path to enlightenment was Jana Marg, the path of the knowledge of self, God, or oneness with everything. Yet they had no interest in the material world, for they thought it to be a maya or an illusion. Their philosophy gave no motivation to accumulate partial, piecemeal, worldly knowledge that is the hallmark of modern education. By the way, that's a lot of what we learned growing up, even going through school. My kids will ask me, why am I learning this? I'll never use it. Partial, piecemeal knowledge, because it begins to form a seedbed, a foundation of truth within you that gives you a platform to live and to stand on, and it gives you something within you to change your environment and to go further to develop culture into the restored life that God has for us. But they had no desire for that whatsoever. By contrast, the biblical view made modern science possible by enabling the Christian mind to be content with partial and finite knowledge, which grows incrementally through the coordinated efforts of synergy over the generations. Isn't that fun? Isn't that cool stuff? The things we get to enjoy today, uh, i got to close soon. But I want to uh, I wanna go to one on, uh, let me go to one on Harvard. Can I do that? Is that all right? Harvard University is one of the most compelling examples of the symbiosis, not saying it right, unity, that's better, between the Bible and education. I need more education, don't I? The Puritans established Harvard within the first decade of arriving in America before they built any industry. The Bible directly inspired the first 123 colleges and universities in America that taught secular subjects. Why? Because there was not a separation between the sacred and the secular. This is why we say to you, there's nothing that you're there's nothing you're involved in that God isn't involved in as well. Bring him into everything. Don't separate God out. Don't put him out of your money. Don't put him out of engineering. Don't put him out of policy. Don't put him out of government. Don't put him out of education. Bring him in. Bring him in. The Bible inspired the first 123 colleges and universities. The Bible did so because God commanded human beings to establish their dominion over the earth. The story of the secularization of American universities is a sad story, well documented by George Marsden in The Soul of America's Universities. What will be the result? What will be the result? Christian education, Bible-based science... Develop knowledge in small increments like a puzzle because God had already given us the big picture. 
God's given us the big picture. How many of you know God's amazing? Stand with me. We got to close this morning. I'm reminded of um, Kong He, K O N G. He, H-E-E, pastors a large church of maybe 20,000 people in Singapore. When he got the revelation of the seven mountains, he called all of his people to go back to school. At one time, they had thousands of their members enrolled, getting their master's degrees and going back to school. The seven mountain revelation, the seven mountain mandate that in our culture there are these relevant, very important mountains of society, of culture, science, education, government, commerce. In the olden days, it was really only that, you know, in the olden days when I was growing up, I call that the olden days. It must have been the beginning of this slump. in running away from maybe understanding so much of what our forefathers understood. Because when I was growing up, uh, we were preparing for the rapture. We were trying to get off the planet. We weren't valuing education at all. Um, you could become a minister with very, virtually you know, low, low education, um, we weren't really giving very much credence at all to those that were in our fellowships or our body. Everything was about sins forgiven and salvation. Trying to win souls, but if you don't have influence, many times the souls you win are at the lowest level of society because that's where you live. So our churches were full of blue-collar people who had sins forgiven but had no education. This isn't really how the Puritans started. This isn't how America started. But this is where we've ended up. I don't think it's really God's will. So God began to release the seven mountain revelation into the hearts of many of us over the last 10, 15, 20 years, saying that God's calling us to the top of the mountains not the bottom. That our influence with the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of light and the kingdom of love will be so much greater from the top of the mountains instead of from the bottom. Calling us back into wisdom, back into education, back into engagement in culture, not praying to get off the planet, but praying to get the kingdom of heaven onto the planet. We think this is new theology. This is coming out of HIM. This is coming out of all the new guys. This is coming out of Vineyard. This is coming out of Bethel. This is, old, this is old theology, extremely old theology. Just our theology got sabotaged 
Our, the, our theology got sabotaged, and we went off into a rapture detour that almost shipwrecked the church. God is calling us back to be ambassadors of heaven, to steward the earth, to occupy until he comes. And to do and to do all of this from the top of the mountains, not the bottom. So even some of you this morning, God might be stirring you, touching you, provoking you to read more, get off the TV, get off the brain binkies, get off of Facebook, get off of Instagram. I don't know what I don't know what your brain binky is. What is your brain binky? There was a day, there was a culture that I'm telling you, go, go to Walmart on any given day. You'll see where society's living right now. It's not good. It's jammy land during the middle of the day, right? We're talking about we got a highly uneducated culture all around us. God's calling us as believers to be at the top of the mountains, the scientific mountain, the government mountain, the education mountain, the money mountain, the banking, the finance mountain, the economic mountain. Every single mountain there is in culture, God's calling his kids to dwell, to operate, to influence, to live from the top of those mountains. And until you, until, until you either go home to glory or he takes you home, that's a call on your life. This is a mandate on your life. There's reasons that Daniel and books and stories and illustrations of, of the Daniels are in the book. Because even if we're living under a foreign kingdom, even if we're living in an ungodly situation, we never give up our hope in God and we, and we become wise and we become trained and we become knowledgeable and we, and we marry that knowledge to the superior knowledge of the Holy Spirit so that we can bring supreme influence into culture. And you've been thinking, you've been thinking along with a religious influence that's been pervasive over the last 100 years in the church, you've been thinking, you know, maybe I'm on the wrong track, you know, maybe I'm really messed up, you know, maybe I shouldn't be studying engineering, maybe I shouldn't be trying to sell real estate, maybe I shouldn't be studying banking, maybe I shouldn't be looking at these things in science, maybe I shouldn't be giving my heart to music, you know, this, you know, I, probably not God's will. No, it is God's will. It is God's will. It is God's will. Satan is the one trying to divorce the sacred from the secular and trying to get you in some little closet of shrunken Christian paradigms where you are not an influence when God's called you to be the influence. You are the influence. You are the influence. You are the salt and the light. That doesn't mean everything you do is running around trying to be a witness. You are a witness as the salt and the light of wisdom from above, insight, revelation, understanding, at the bank, in the lab, at Boeing, everywhere you go, you are salt and light. And it's not just the quoting of Scripture, it's revelation from above on all God-breathed knowledge. Amen? Put out your hands. Let's receive that this morning. Holy Spirit, we just receive of you this morning. We receive an education mandate. We receive an education mandate. We receive a wisdom mandate. We receive an influence mandate. 
we receive a go higher mandate. We receive a go higher calling. We receive this ambassador of heaven, influential, anointing, perspective, and calling. We receive the hope of a glorious earth. We receive the hope of a glorious earth where you've leavened everything with the victories that have come through the gospel. And we thank you that you've included us. We thank you that we're participants today. We thank you that you've brought us near to truth in every realm. In every realm. We give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said.